Hello and welcome to On the Same Wavelength, where we explore how we can make a better world for people living with complex mental health issues. I'm your host, Elise, and this is actually our final episode of the season. I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of messaging in the mental health world is all about encouraging people to seek help. And of course, that's important. Obviously, mental health professionals can really make a difference in people's lives. But what can you do when you can't access professional help or the help that's available isn't quite right for you? In this episode, we're focusing on how stigma and discrimination affects mental health care. The National Stigma Report Card found that over 70% of participants experienced some level of stigma or discrimination when accessing or receiving mental health care during the last year. In this episode, we'll be meeting Peer Ambassador Shazzy, who will talk about her experiences accessing support for her mental health. I also chat with Katie Larson from Mind Australia about these issues and the recent Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. Just a quick note that this episode touches on topics including dissociative identity disorder, anxiety, trauma, and hospitalisation. And like all our episodes, we talk about stigma and discrimination. So please only listen today if it feels right for you. My name is Shazzy. Um, I live in Gippsland, Victoria, and um, I'm a public speaker who happens to have dissociative identity disorder. Shazzy loves reading and has two enormous dogs that keep her pretty busy. I love cooking and going to movies and um, just um, visiting with good friends. Shazzy first noticed that things weren't quite right around the age of 40. I was losing a lot of time. Um, I was saying and thinking things that just weren't like me. And one of the big things, I was moving around a lot through my life and it was almost like I had a little life here and a little life there and and it wasn't until I was nearly 40 when I realised that this isn't normal. People move around for a reason, like they moved for a job or for a lifestyle change but not for no reason. So once I did realise that, that's when I realised that there was something very wrong. It was a five-year journey for her to figure out what was really going on. I was seeing um, a lovely lady and when I first suggested after two or three years it might be something along the lines of DID but not actually DID and I was trying to express to her but didn't know the name of um, dissociative or personality disorders because that was the only space left to explore. So, um, And she said, I see no evidence of that. And um, and I kind of went, oh, oh goodness. So I stopped with that and, um, yeah, it took another couple of years before a couple of incidents happened and she's like, oh, we better run that diagnostic tool on you. She was eventually diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder, also known as DID, in 2004. Dissociative identity disorder. Disorder was formerly known as multiple personality disorder. So when the human mind at a very young age um, experiences trauma that it cannot manage, it can build up barriers in the, in the mind and those barriers or walls end up developing separately to each other and that's how you end up with more than one personality or alter. It took a long time for Shazzy to understand her experience of DID and her alters. 
it's really complicated. There's a thousand and one of us. So I at first thought that it was my job to fix it. And it took me a couple of years to realise that um, that was totally outrageous of me. It took me several years to realise that um, I needed to have trust in my personalities and work with them instead of trying to fix the problem. She also experiences high levels of anxiety at times. I can be anxious about anything from going to my local shop to getting in the shower to getting the dishes done. It really depends on someone's triggers, but because all my trauma happened in whatever house that I lived in at any given time, basic things around the house are very, very difficult for me. Over the years, Shazzy has developed skills and techniques to help her manage memory loss and other challenges. Things like maintaining a healthy diet and improving sleeping patterns and techniques like grounding, which can work like a circuit breaker for panic attacks and flashbacks. Grounding was a huge thing, absolute huge thing for me. In fact, it was a bit of a game changer because it allowed me to control most of the circumstances. Um, But no one told me how to do that grounding, so it was quite... Um, a difficult. It took me years to, to work out that it was a process. Shazzy is very familiar with the Australian mental health system. Everything from psych nurses um, to, you know, like at the, at the GPs, um, to um, psychologists, um, therapists, counsellors, um, Psychiatrists um, pretty much even turned up at triage at the hospital at one point. She provided me with one word that summarised her overall experience of getting mental health support. Terrible. People have been really shocked um, to hear how bad it's been. There were challenges right back in the early days when Shazzy started bringing up the possibility of DID. That first um, psychologist... Um, the moment I brought it up was very dismissive. Um, later I was sent um, by her to get a referral for a um, an MRI to, to simply rule out temporal lobe epilepsy or brain tumour as a possible cause. The psychiatrist started writing a prescription for a powerful epilepsy medication that can act as a mood stabiliser. And this made Shazzy pretty uncomfortable. And I'd never set eyes on him before and the test hadn't been run yet. I had to sort of say, you know, we're not doing that. You're kind of stepping past your bounds here. That's not what I'm here for. Simple referral. So, yeah, that was an awkward one. Getting the right assessment and diagnosis was pretty important to Shazzy. But the process was complicated, to say the least. Not only was it delayed, but um, then... The lady that um, did the diagnostic tool on me actually took me to a specialist in in DID and I had three three three-hour appointments with her before it was confirmed. And I was quite shocked at the diagnosis. It explained everything, but I was still quite shocked because this, you know, lady, the specialist is saying, oh, how many of them are you? And I don't like... Well, as far as I knew, there was only me. 
<laughs> like, um, I don't know. I'm new to this. Over the years, Shazzy has witnessed different reactions to her DID. Some people are fantastic. Some people don't bat an eyelid. They're probably a smaller percentage of the world. I've had people laugh at me instantly, thinking either I'm joking or instantly thinking of the Hollywood um, idea of what DID is actually is, which is, by the way, it's not like the TV shows, folks, no. <laughs> Some people will kind of back away from me. Um, one person even became instantly afraid and I'm just like, wow. And that made me question whether I was a safe person to be around then. Getting a diagnosis was one thing, but getting the right support was another issue. I've had health professionals kind of stand back themselves and and you can see that look in their eyes as if it's not fear, it's what do I do with this person? How do I treat this person? And I'm just like, well, you were doing fine a minute ago. <laughs> Some mental health professionals have tried to help but have not had the right understanding or training about how best to support someone with DID. I've had a few people try um, which has been great, but again, they went straight into cognitive behavioural therapy, which is might be something I need down the track, but really I need to have or to be doing the trauma work and the memory work. Then there are the mental health professionals who do not believe that she has DID. Um, a lot of people are still um, in in mental health care are still under the impression that DID is actually rare. It's not. A lot of people for some reason have decided that they won't, they don't believe in it. It's simply the too hard basket and they'll rather give you a different diagnosis and medicate you than deal with you at all. As a result, Shazzy has struggled to access the right type of treatment and support. I've had um, a mental health nurse abuse me because I was delusional and they were not going to buy into my delusions. I've had um, a leading psychiatrist in my area when I was told by a therapist if I felt unsafe and things were really bad to take myself to hospital. So I did what I was told and, and the staff were fantastic with me and then they rang him up and he said, Tell her to come back when we can do something for her. They quoted him, actually. They were so shocked. And then they said, I'm sorry. And they put me outside the hospital at three o'clock in the morning with no way to get home. This was a doctor who Shazzy had seen before, who believed that she had a different diagnosis and should be prescribed a certain medication. He did not trust her or believe her. You know, when I actually said, look, this is this has been confirmed by a specialist, um... All the paperwork's here, everything else. He just said, um, if you're not taking the pills, don't waste my time. And I'm like, they're the wrong pills. Unfortunately, Shazzy is not alone in these challenges. To learn more about the bigger picture, I reached out to Mind Australia to learn more about the mental health system and how it is or isn't helping people. 
My name is Katie Larson, pronoun she or they. I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm a senior manager working across lived experience and inclusion for marginalised communities in, in mainstream mental health services. Katie's role involves overseeing a whole-of-organisation approach to lived experience and inclusion. I asked Katie to give me an overview of some of the challenges that Australians face when it comes to accessing mental health support. The reality is that we're often working with systems that simply aren't meeting people's needs, generally speaking. Um, I mean, I think the Royal Commission in Victoria essentially assessed that the system was broken and the system was failing. And I think probably Victoria has one of the more advanced mental health systems in Australia. So it says a lot about where we're at in terms of thinking about accessible mental health care, both in Victoria but also nationally. For a start, service availability and waiting times are big issues. And services might not be affordable or accessible in rural and remote areas. There's a real shortage generally of services. There's a real shortage of staff. We have a workforce crisis in mental health. So it can be hard to access support at the right time. Often people don't know what's available or how to get support. And for people who need to access the system in the long term, there are lots of challenges. There can be inconsistency in Um, service delivery. Something we hear from people who work with us as consumer and carer representatives find that they often have to repeat their story. They work with a lot of different people and that constant change of staffing or being shuffled from one service to another means that they're repeating story, which can often be traumatic. Then, of course, there's the question of whether a service is the right match. From the experience of marginalised communities, very often You've got communities such as LGBTIQ plus communities or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander or culturally diverse communities where you have higher incidences of of suicidality, disproportionately high rates of mental ill health and less trust in the system. In many cases, some people within these community groups haven't felt safe or, or have had poor experiences within the system. They don't feel confident that their identity or their cultural background will be understood and responded to appropriately and so there's there's points whether they either may move into the system and feel inadequately served by it or even not trust it within the first place. The recent Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system was a huge piece of work in order to understand what some of the critical issues are within the system in Victoria. It produced 74 recommendations. When the final report was released, um, my immediate response was hope because I felt that a lot of what we could see the problems of the system were had really been noted in the final report. We can't summarise all of the messages from the report, otherwise this would be a very long episode. There were recommendations around improving service availability in rural and remote areas, links with other systems like educational, housing and justice systems, and better supporting people from marginalised communities recognising my own bias and how I see the most important areas of the report. But uh, one of the most critical things that came through in the report was the role of lived experience. It's very clear and intentional about the role of lived experience leadership, about drawing from the knowledge base of the consumer movement, about ensuring that decision-making reflects people with lived experience and that processes simply cannot proceed without that. Lots of work is in place already to try to improve the Victorian system. Individual mental health professionals have a role to play as well. I think one of the key things we have to recognise is that we all stigmatise people in different ways. We work from the conditions of the social conditions of our life and the way that we were raised and the worlds that we the world that we live in. And the world that we live in has not largely been kind to people who are experiencing 
um, mental ill health. I think it's really important that those of us working in mental health don't think that we're separate from the issue of stigma. Every person who works in this space has, has I think, a responsibility to to challenge and critique how stigma operates within their personal practice or within the broader system in which they're working. People like Shazzy have been dealing with a failing system for a long time. I've lived with this disorder all my life, most of it without even knowing. And I've got a pretty good handle on it over the years without having any information or knowledge um, prior to. And for a long time, I didn't even read anything on the subject. I didn't join a group. I just nutted it out myself. Shazzy did highlight one positive experience she had when seeking mental health support. I asked someone at a a mental health organisation if they knew of anybody. And she suggested a lady. So I rang that lady up. And um, I said, look, I don't know if you can help me. I've got DID and um, I don't want to waste your time or anything. And she said, with a little giggle, oh, well, I've been treating people with DID and early childhood trauma for 18 years. Um, Unfortunately, though, she was only in that position for a year. So, and the average treatment for someone with DID is seven years. So there was a limited window of opportunity to make a lot of progress. And unfortunately, Shazzy is still struggling to get the right support these days. That's not through a lack of trying. You know, like as far as I know, there's no one um, qualified, and this is the statement I keep getting every time I ring, which is annually, um, is there anyone there qualified to treat me yet? No, there is not. I'm not going to quit. Shazzy told me about what she wants from the mental health system. To be heard, for starters, I think that's really important. And you can't build up any trust with someone if they're not going to even listen to your perspective or point of view. Um, As far as treatment is concerned, it's all there in the book. It's really simple. We need to do the, the trauma work and the memory work. And there's not much in the way of medication that can help. Um, But there are a lot of other things that we can be doing. We can be doing art therapies. We can be doing equine therapies. We can be supported by the NDIS, for example. And um, I'm still at 59 fighting for treatment, fighting for the diagnosis to be reviewed for the NDIS. And... um, Five years now I've been working on that and I've gotten nowhere. Nowadays, Shazzy is driven to share her story to help others like her to know that they're not alone. When I first got diagnosed, I met another lady in the waiting room who also happened to have DID. And then a neighbour of mine actually walked in and sat down in the waiting room who has DID and... When I looked at when I looked at what they were experiencing and the fact that they were terrified to tell anybody and I'm like, hang on, this isn't right. You need help, but you're frightened to tell anyone because then they'll they'll judge you and there'll be all this stigma and you won't get that help that you need. 
So that's kind of where it began. Her first public speaking gig was 15 years ago. Her engagements these days are wide and varied. I'd say my favourite of all time would have to be the Victorian Police Academy where I talk to recruits every fortnight. Um, But I also do things like um, businesses, lawyers, um, neighbourhood houses, things like that, schools even. As a peer ambassador at SANE, she's had lots of opportunities, including commentating on the Royal Commission. The sad part is that personally I haven't seen any change since the Royal Commission. Well, there was one comment that really stuck with me and it's like we need specialists in, you know, out there in all areas. And I'm like, well, okay, send one to Gippsland for me. Thank you very much. And there are every now and then I run into someone or they'll get stuck in a certain point and I'll be contacted. Even some mental health organisations have contacted me when they don't know what to do for someone with DRD. Even to get the current mental health care people to actually um, understand that disassociative identity disorder is real. Systems can't change overnight. There are improvements in the works, but they will take time. In the meantime, Shazzy has an important reminder for listeners, whether you work in the mental health space or not. People with DID are not axe murderers. We are regular human beings. Some of us are good, some of us are bad, and we might have more hurdles than you, but please don't treat us any differently to anyone else. We don't ask for special, um, you know, privileges and favours and stuff like that. Um, We simply ask that you treat us like you treat everyone else. That concludes today's episode and also the season. A big thank you to SANE Peer Ambassador Shazzy and Katie Larson from Mind Australia for their contributions to this episode. If you're interested in learning more about Mind Australia and the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system, I've included links in the show notes. I also want to thank all of my guests who've generously shared their stories and their work on this podcast. We can't cover every aspect of stigma and discrimination or share everyone's story, but I think we've covered a lot. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. I really hope you've taken something away from these episodes. On the Same Wavelength is a collaboration between the University of Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences and SANE, Australia's leading national mental health organisation for people with complex mental health needs, with the support of the Paul Ramsey Foundation. It's hosted by me, Elise Carotte, and edited by Chris Hatzis. This podcast was recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and we wish to pay respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners. If this podcast has brought up any challenging feelings for you, please consider reaching out to SANE's free counselling support via 1800 187 263 or Lifeline via 13 11 14. 